things were going from bad to worse for a woman named Naomi. She and her husband and their two sons were really struggling with the economic downturn that happened in their country. It was so bad that they could no longer put food on the table. There was no work. There was no provision. And so they made a very difficult choice. They decided to go to another nearby country, a country they didn't want to go to. But they heard that there maybe were some jobs there that they could get and make a meager income. So they set out and they traveled across the wilderness to this other country. And the young men were growing, the two sons, they were growing up in this foreign land and they did what young men tend to do. They fell in love with some of the local girls and they ended up marrying some of those local girls. But then tragedy struck. The husband of Naomi died. And then things went from bad to worse even more. The two sons also tragically died. And so there were these three women, Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. The daughters-in-law's names were Ruth and Orpah. little fun fact, Oprah Winfrey was named after that second daughter. Did you know that? On her birth certificate, it says Orpah, actually, and she changed the spelling in elementary school. So here was Naomi with her two foreign daughters-in-law. And Naomi knew that it was time for her to go back to her original country, Bethlehem, in a place called Judea. So she instructed her daughters-in-law to go back to their country, to go back to their gods. And Orpah, for her part, decided to do just that. But Ruth had met the living God through Naomi. And Ruth made this amazing declaration to her mother-in-law. She said, wherever you go, I'll go. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. So Naomi and Ruth, mother-in-law and daughter-in-law, set off on this journey back toward Israel. They knew, because Naomi knew the law, they knew that the chances were if, if their relative was a good man, he would redeem them. This was necessary in this time because women in this time in history were extremely vulnerable if they did not have men to protect them. It's hard to overstate just how vulnerable women were. If you lost your husband or your sons, then you really only had one career possibility, and it was not a good one. Or you would starve to death, or you would be redeemed by one of the relatives of the man in your life who died. Those were your options. So they set off on this journey to go back towards Bethlehem because Naomi knew that there was a man there named Boaz who, according to the law, could redeem their lives, provide for them, give them protection, give them supply, give them the covenant of love. So they set off and they headed back and Ruth finds the field that Boaz owns where some young men are working it. Now I really want you to picture this part of the story with me. Picture young Ruth appearing on this grain field where the young men are working. Picture Ruth with me, a foreign girl. Her clothes are different. Her skin color is different. Her accent is different. And she's alone. And Boaz, the landowner, sees this young woman come onto the field and she's just collecting some of the scraps so that she can have a meal that evening. But 
Boaz actually gives her a job and he pulls his young men aside in the morning and he says, guys, protect her. Look out for her. And they do. And she works all day in the field and she's really impressive. She's really strong. The guys are blown away that she doesn't need a water break like they do. And at the end of the day, Boaz does something quite sensational. He invites this young foreign girl to his dinner table. And not only that, he gives her the seat of the guest of honor. He shares his cup with her. It's an amazing thing. You have to wonder if Boaz's friends thought maybe he had lost it. What are you doing, Boaz? This is embarrassing. Why are you elevating this foreign girl? You don't have to do any of that. But he does. I've basically just described for you the first two chapters of the book of Ruth. And we come to chapter 3 today to watch how the story continues to unfold. Ruth and Naomi devise a plan of just how they would relay the message to Boaz that they want him to redeem their lives. So that's where we come into the story today. So they devised this plan that Ruth would find where Boaz is sleeping. Now the men at this time of the year, they would harvest all this grain and they would have these big piles of grain. And the men, the workers, the owners of the field, they would sleep in a perimeter around the piles of grain in order to protect what they had harvested from burglars. So Ruth and Naomi know this, and they devise this plan where Ruth will go and find Boaz where he's sleeping and give him the message. This would have been pretty scary to do this in the middle of the night on Ruth's part. So let's hear how the story unfolds. Ruth chapter 3 verse 7 is where we pick up this amazing story. It says this, And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she, that is Ruth, came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. What's happening out here? I have to give you a little bit of historical explanation. In this time and in this country, what happened here would have been clear to the early readers that it had everything to do with the declaration of the vows of marriage. I want to give you an example. In Ezekiel chapter 16, God gives this love letter to his people And this is God speaking. He says this, When I passed by you and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner or the wings of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God. And you became mine. Now, to the ancient ear, they would have heard this and known exactly what it means. If this was written today, God would have said something like this. I love you so much, my people, that I get down on one knee and I open a little black box that reveals a diamond ring and I will make you mine. We all would know exactly what God is saying there, wouldn't we? We would know he loves us so much that he wants to be in a covenant with us that's 
as strong and as rich as the covenant of marriage. In the ancient world, they didn't have little black boxes with diamond rings, but they had the corner or the wing of their garment, and they would do a little ceremony where the man would bring the woman in like this and declare, I vow to make you my own. I will take you as my wife. I will provide for you. So now that you know that, let me ask you, what was Ruth suggesting out there on the threshing floor where Boaz is sleeping? When she sneaks in, I just imagine Ruth's heart beating hard in the night, going and finding where Boaz is sleeping, cuddling up next to him, lifting up the garment, the wing of his garment, and saying, spread your wing over me. You tell me, what is she saying to Boaz in that moment? She's saying, marry me. This is really bold, if you think about it. (laughs) Even today, in 2019, I rarely hear stories of women proposing to men. Especially in the ancient world, women weren't making marriage proposals. That was the man's job. And here's this foreign young woman doing this very brave thing. This is a moment in Scripture that Brene Brown would be very proud of. A couple of you know who Brene Brown is. Some of the women in my life have insisted that I start watching the Brene Brown special on Netflix. Anyone here seen that? A few? Okay. I should explain it then. It was like three hands went up. (laughs) Heather, we have some work to do. Heather's been all about this. Brene Brown, she gives this wonderful talk about the relationship between vulnerability and bravery. She says a lot of people, when they think of bravery, they think about this really strong, valiant picture, someone like winning a victory or something. And then you think vulnerability is on the opposite end of the spectrum as bravery. She says, oh, no, no, no. It requires a lot of vulnerability to be brave, to expose yourself, your weaknesses, and then to declare them. That's actually a very brave thing to do. And here is Ruth doing a very Brene Brown thing. She lies down next to Boaz. If you think about it, if Boaz was not a good man, he could have done anything he wanted to her in that moment in the darkness. So she's very vulnerable, and she's very brave in what she does. Now, a lot of us think of God in the same terms. We don't know if we can be vulnerable and weak before him because we don't know if God is good But in this story, we see Boaz as a stand-in for our Redeemer, and we can watch, we can get our question answered, is God good? Is our Redeemer good? Let's look at the way Boaz responds to this very vulnerably brave thing that Ruth has just done in saying, marry me. Verse 10, the story continues. And Boaz said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You've made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. How does the Redeemer respond to this vulnerable bravery by Ruth? He responds with love with love. 
And then in the next couple of verses, he has to work out this thing because it turns out there's somebody else on the family tree who might be a closer relative, so he would probably be the redeemer. So he works that out in the town square the next morning. Boaz is always doing the right thing. He's falling in love with Ruth, and he goes and he does the right thing. Not only does the Redeemer respond with love, the Redeemer responds with provision. In verse 15, we see what he gives to Ruth before she leaves. It says this, Boaz said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. Boaz is lying next to a large pile of grain and before she leaves, he says, let me give you six measures for your walk home. Now, this is just like God providing for his people with the manna in the desert. Every seven-day week, God provided six days worth of provision, except for on the Sabbath. So Boaz is supplying for Ruth exactly what she would need for a whole week, and he sends her off. I'm guessing she walked home with a skip in her step, knowing that he would do all that she asked. Now, in this ancient story, you might be asking yourself, what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with us? As we walk out the door of this room this morning, what does this story speak to our lives in a practical way? What's the takeaway? Well, there are two that I want us to look at today. There are two examples in this story, models of behavior for us. The first one is Boaz. And I want to speak this especially to the men in the room right now. Be like Boaz. You see the way Boaz treated this woman, this vulnerable woman who came into his sphere of influence? He didn't take advantage of her. He protected her. He elevated her. And he loved her. We have an opportunity to treat the women in our lives the right way, to do the right thing like Boaz did. And for you women as well, there's people who come into your orbit, there's people who come into your life, there's people who come onto your property who are vulnerable. Do the right thing. Be like Boaz. So that's one takeaway. But another one is this. We are all, spiritually speaking, Ruth. Be like Boaz in your dealings with people in this world, but spiritually speaking, we are Ruth in this story. We are vulnerable. We need a Redeemer, just like Ruth needed a Redeemer. Without a Redeemer, we are exposed. We don't have provision. We don't have many options. We are like Ruth. And I'm inspired by this idea that Brene Brown has been teaching me on, of bringing my vulnerabilities before God, not my strengths. You know, I was trained to show God all the great accomplishments that I've done. You know, I grew up in a household like that. Look at all the awesome deeds, and, and God will be impressed. I don't know if any of you think of your relationship with God that way, but our Redeemer is not impressed by our accomplishments. He wants us to be impressed with His accomplishment on the cross on our behalf. That frees us up to bring to him our vulnerabilities, our weaknesses, our sins, our need for him. How would this look in our lives? 
I'm thinking of a story where there was a group of men. We were at Dave Bennett's house for one of the men's gatherings, and he broke us off into groups. And I was sitting around the dining table there at Dave's house, and I don't know if you ladies realize this, but a lot of times when guys get together, they can talk about sports or their golf swing or their work forever without ever really talking about what's going on under here. Sorry to reveal that, guys, but it's true. We can do, I can do that myself, by the way, too. But Dave had instructed us in our groups to share what's going on in our lives. And uh, the first guy who spoke did something very, very brave. He spoke up and he said, guys, my marriage is, is really not working. I don't know what to do. I don't know what the future is in my marriage. I could really use your prayers. I could really use your help. See how brave that was? And the second guy went and he said, my teenage kids are causing so much trouble. They're in so much trouble. I'm embarrassed to even tell you what they've been up to. And by the time the third guy went, I remember it really well. He was sitting at the head of the table and he was watching this happen before him and his eyes were growing wider and he said, man, you guys are a mess. <laughs> but then he said, I, I look at you guys in church, I meet you in church and you look like your lives have it all together. And now I know that I'm not the only one. And he shared serious problems he was having with his career. You see how vulnerability is actually the brave choice? What if we behaved this way all the time as Christians in community? What if we approached each other and said, here's how I need a redeemer? Here's how I have fallen short. Will you partner with me? Will you pray with me? Can we do this together? That really is what it looks like to be a gospel community. Because in the gospel, we have a redeemer. Ruth found her redeemer in Boaz. We find our redeemer in Jesus. He responds to our vulnerability with love and with provision. Ruth got to walk home with six measures of barley. Jesus says, I'll give you all that you need. Consider the birds of the air. They don't worry about where their next meal is going to come from. I will provide for you, my people, my children. We have a redeemer. This is the gospel story. And as Anne pointed out to the children, it tells us right here in the narrative in Ruth chapter 4 at the very end, it tells us that this is a gospel story. Because of the way it ends, not only did Boaz marry Ruth, they had a child together. And it tells us at the end of Ruth that this, the, the women of the neighborhood came around and they gave the child a name and they said, a son has been born to Naomi. And they called him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And David is in the lineage of our Redeemer, Jesus. That's why Ruth is in the Bible. Because it points us to Jesus. It points us to the one who we can approach with our vulnerabilities and say, I need you, I need your Redeemer to save my life. And he responds in the same way that Boaz did, with love and with provision. Let's open up ourselves vulnerably before God. 
who longs to to hem us in with the corner of his garment, as it said in Ezekiel, to cover our nakedness, to cover our vulnerability, and to make us his own. Amen.